Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's been a pretty miserable season. No trophies, no Champions League football for next season, and no Duke Bellingham this summer. So, to cheer us all up, we've come to the pub to huddle together and pick through the bones of the season and where things have gone wrong for the Reds and how they fix it this summer. To get stuck into it, we've got James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill, and making his long-awaited return, drum roll, Simon Hughes. Woohoo! But let's start with those three words. Kiefer. We're in the pub. That's four. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I like it, I like it. Yeah, in the pub? Yeah, in the pub. In the pub will do. Proper work stuff, this. It's nearly over. Well, hopefully this session in the pub isn't. But anyway, let's see what they're saying on the Walk On Facebook page. John Weller says, long season ends. Achlim Lowe says, major rebuild required. Lavon Eldon, ready for signings. And Shane Roche, early signings, please. Okay, Simon, three words for you. Where have you been? Well, I've been on a paternity leave. Uh, my wife gave birth to a boy earlier this year, so... Congratulations. Thank you, yeah, thank you. Um, two is much, much harder than one. I can confirm that. <laughs> um, so, a bit of sleep deprivation at the moment, but um, everybody's fit and healthy anyway, so sounds like a bit of a footballer's answer that, doesn't it? But yeah. um, well, well, now you've got one for each of the women's and men's teams. I know, I know. Well, me, me daughter's shown quite a bit of interest in, in football, actually. We'd like, love to see it. Yeah, well... Vincent as well, the lads, every time I put the footy on, he's like, he sort of perks up and he's like watching what's going on. So I think it's the green, you know, the colour of the pitch that they, they, they sort of are attracted to. But um, Can't be the standard of the football no, this season. No, it can't be. I watched the um, the 7 0 United game with my daughter and she was just found it hilarious every time a goal went in. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, that was, that was quite a I nice mean, it experience. Was hilarious, so. yeah, it was a nice experience to watch that game with her, I, I must say, yeah. Yeah, and um, I noticed on Twitter over the weekends you were in Bavaria, pitch invading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ban an order, ban an order. I know, I know. Well, yeah, so in the middle of this paternity leave, my uh, my mate Mark decides to have a stag do. He's getting married in a few months' time. So, um, yeah, we went to Munich. And I, I was arranging this stag, so there was a couple of options. And obviously, naturally, you're going to gravitate towards buying, but we, we struggled to get 10 of us in to the... Alliance because of the, the magnitudes of the game, which they lost to Leipzig as well. But uh, so the alternative was Unter Hatching, who I think 20 years ago they were in the Bundesliga, but they've fallen on hard times and they're now in like the, the Bavarian League. But I'd calculated that the, the, it's the last home game of the season. So I was sort of hoping they might have a trophy lift or something. And they did have a trophy lift and we managed to get onto the pitch after the game with the trophy, <laughs> celebrating with the players loads of ale it was absolutely brilliant it was like it reminded me of sort of why you want to watch football really because there was no there was no sort of showy element to it it was just you know loads of people celebrating a, a great moment for the club but it was um sure to getting into the the changing rooms that that could have been that would have made it even better i think and i think if we'd have asked they'd have probably let us in <laughs> but uh, it, it was a great great couple of hours what was that giant ticker to see was that oh yeah yeah yes yeah. <laughs> So my mate, uh, my mate Mark, who's uh, 
who Staggart was. He, uh, we tried to do a series of very sort of, I'd say minor wind-ups, and one of them was to buy him a massive ticket. So when he had to go to, through the turnstile, he had to unfold this huge ticket just to make him look like a bit of a knobhead, basically. But the, the, the guy on the um, the guy on the turnstile found it very funny anyway, and I just let him through. <laughs> it sounds like he had a good weekend. Yeah, it was you know, it's uh, probably better than we did staying here and watching the Villa game, but moving on swiftly. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Let's get back to Liverpool. James, where did the season go wrong? I always throw these questions at you, don't I? <laughs> Unanswerable questions. You know that... Uh, um, where did it go wrong? He's having acupuncture today, over, aren't you, James? <laughs> it's not even helping. The, um, I don't think it's possible to pick one particular moment. I think it was just a whole succession of factors coming together. The alarm bells were ringing, weren't they, right from Craven Cottage on the opening day of the season. The errors, how easily Fulham cut through that midfield. They, yeah, very much Pretty so. much all the themes of that day turned out to be themes of the season even though coming away that day you just think oh it's just a bit of rustiness on the mm. opening weekend or whatever but then yeah the more you look upon it the more you thought well actually that hangover from the previous season the 63 games toyed with the fact that obviously there was this you know will they won't lay strength in the midfield in August when the injuries just kept on stacking up and up and up you know it was like no 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 we're sticking to our guns we've got a long-term plan we don't do short-term fixes then bang you bring in Arthur Mello on deadline day and, you know, that's obviously turned out disastrously for for all parties. A bit of a shock he wasn't part of the Guard of Honour last, last weekend at Anfield. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you know, I thought at least we'd see him on the pitch there. No, well, it was, I, I, when you dig out his, his video with the club website when he first joined, he talked about, you know, I, you know what an honour it was playing at Anfield when he came on for Barcelona in the, the iconic 4-0 game. And said, you know, I can't believe I'm now going to experience it as a home player. And of course he hasn't because his, his solitary 13 minutes of football, ironically, was in Italy where he'd obviously just come from uh, in that Champions League defeat to, to Napoli and never been seen since. So, um, played, yeah, the lack played of in the, be- the best game at Anfield he could have. Yes. Just, yeah, 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 just yeah. not for Liverpool. And he got, to, he got a handshake off Pep Guardiola, didn't he, at the Etihad? Yeah, so that was not, probably was, maybe his highlight of anything. Yeah, yeah, I think he was just chuffed that Pep recognised him. and But yeah, so a lot, I think it's just lots and lots of different factors coming together. And I mean, injuries, Liverpool have lost more days to injuries than any other Premier League club over the course of the season for a group that we're used to winning suffering so many setbacks I think Sat Morale and Klopp for a long time was struggling to come up with the answers and then you know belatedly he's he managed to get them going again but unfortunately too late to to really salvage something in terms of Champions League football yeah I mean Kiva do you think do you think we can be convinced that Klopp has actually turned it round and got them moving in the right direction again I think so. I think from the past however many games and the performances sort of came crashing down a little bit at home to Villa, didn't it? But I still think there was enough on show in the past few weeks to make us feel positive going into this new season. I think just the fact that, you know, new signings will come because they have to. If they don't, then, you know, Liverpool are just going to keep on falling away. So that will happen. But it has been a season that... You've sort of kind of been a point. You mentioned the seven 0 like probably the highlight of the season. There's there's been points that have been good, but then pretty much for a lot of it, we've just been thinking when will it end? And I'm absolutely fascinated to know 
any and all of Sai users thoughts and we've missed well, your rant so I well, mean exactly and well, oh, what, rant's what, a bit of a Watching watch from a professional, the, you know, watching yeah. from the sidelines, though. I mean, you must have had a number of views, and we want to hear them all now. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose I've seen it in a very different way to any point in, in the past, really, in the sense that I haven't been working on it, so I haven't seen it from a really critical point of view, but I haven't been going, you know, as a fan with me mates, so I haven't seen it from an emotional view, I've just seen it rather coldly, and I, I just think from the first game of the season Liverpool just haven't looked prepared whether it's physically tactically you know in terms of squad size the concerning thing for me is that, that you, you would probably say that Alisson has had a good season not an outstanding season you would say Salah has had a good season by his own standards not an outstanding season but every single other player largely is as way underperformed so the manager hasn't got a tune really out of many of the players I think Trent has shown signs of promise as, as the season's gone on, but I do have big question marks over, you know, this new shape that they're playing, whether, you know, it really, they'll be, really be able to execute that against top quality opposition. I mean, I, I think you just sort of look back to that that Tottenham game when um, second half, it was quite clear that Ryan Mason just said to Son, you go and stand over on the left-hand side of the pitch and run up and down. And they, they got the three goals back. And that, that's not Trent's fault or Canate's fault. It's just the fact that there's so much space out there to exploit. So in the long term, whether they'll continuously be able to do that, you know, because it's just, you know, football is about space in, 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 a lot of, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I, I think I think Liverpool have finished the season well. But my concern is that next season, I think the new signs that are coming in are going to have to probably hit the ground running to ensure that Liverpool get back into the Champions League positions. The, the big thing for me is I don't think United have had to be particularly good to get into the Champions League this no, season. And Liverpool have fallen well short this season. I know people are talking about transition, but I think in that transition, they performed poorly. Yeah, yeah. And, and But, you, you know, notwithstanding that, you look at how narrow the margins are from getting in the Champions League you know, it's, what was it taking another six points? And they've thrown away, they've thrown away how many, like 560 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It wouldn't, when sometimes over a season you can pick maybe one or two games, especially when Liverpool have missed out on the title by such narrow margins, but you're almost nitpicking when they've been so good for so much of a season. But this season, as you said, you know, you could, off the top of your head, you could easily pick five, six, seven matches where you think, you know, what a waste that game was. You know, the killer was, you know, how on earth do you go from smashing United 7-0 to losing at Bournemouth the following weekend? I mean, that that is unforgivable in terms of... And that, that does come down to mentality as much as anything. You know, that that is just, you know, complete complacency. And, and, and that for me is the worry that, you know, the one thing with Klopp's teams, you know, the mentality monsters have become one of the biggest cliches ever. The mentality wasn't there. I, I was just going to say about that, that Bournemouth game, I think that was the game where you, you thought, well, they're not going to do it here. Um, I think the, the the team selection on that day was was poor by the manager. Really, I think obviously they, they had a resounding win the next the, the previous week. They had a Real Madrid second leg coming up. He chose, I think, two young midfielders in an away game in a game where you know they had the momentum in the ascendancy. If they win that game, they're getting really close to where they want to be. And it was just a really passive performance, not by those two, two players, but I, I just think 
it would have fired up. It fires. It seems to me to fire up Bournemouth when he looks at the team sheets and one or two yeah, key players. Yeah, they're not taking us seriously. They're, yeah, they're not taking no. it as seriously as they should have done. So it's easy to, I suppose, to point at Sal and say, "Well, he missed that pen." But uh, I just thought it sends out the wrong messages for me that game. You yeah. know, the, the team selection. The, the other one for me that, that sort of from a father, I'm watching it. I'm still intrigued to see how he how he develops his Nunes, and I'm sure you've spoken about him all a, a lot, but. You know, if you really di- never mentioned him, never <laughs> mentioned him. <laughs> if you really dilute the season, I mean, is it too simplistic to say that he's had a, an okay season? But if he scores even half of the chances that he's had, Liverpool probably do get in the Champions League. And given the money they spent on him, you'd be expecting them to have a bigger impact than he has. I can understand like the excitement around him uh, because he is an exciting player to watch. But I'm still not quite sure where he fits into the structure of a Klopp team. Obviously, in the run that they've had, he hasn't played him largely, so. It's a lot of money to be spending on a player who he's, seems to me to be not quite certain of his best position still. So for me, if, if Nunes does well and, and, and sort of scores the number of goals that he probably should be scoring for the amount of money that he spent, Liverpool in the Champions League, and we're probably not having this discussion. Fair enough. And I think you're right there. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Kiva, the summer rebuild. All right, let's just say it here now. I don't think we should be thinking about a title race next season, no matter how they rebuild. I don't think that, given the state of the squad at the moment, bringing in two or three players will put them in a position for the title race. It's the Champions League they've got to get back in, isn't it? And I think that should be the focus. If you look at I think it was Adam Ramsdale for Arsenal, you know, speaking after they lost to Forest at the weekend. And he was saying, you know, our objective was to get in the Champions League. And obviously we've done that. But then, you know, they've fallen short now and whatever, lost the league title to Man City. And I do think, you know, Liverpool need to go into next season just focusing on we need to get back in the Champions League and then see what comes from that. Because like Sam mentions there, it feels like this has been a transitional season. Next season will be as well because there'll be potentially a new midfield there as well to work off this isn't the end of the transition it doesn't just stop with all these signings mm. coming in because you know the signings that come in last summer they're still technically finding the feet we've seen Cody Gappo do his thing and, and find his feet quite well going into next season it'll be about having every player at the best and I think Sai mentioned it when he said about Alisson's been amazing Salah's been amazing but has that amazing been enough for two players can't do it all I said good they've been yeah. good they've been good but not not like truly outstanding not, not the, the level the of where they need to be propel Liverpool to a point where the performances are that good that it takes over do you not think Alisson's been better than good I think he's been outstanding for most of it I'd say he's player of the year by I'd say he's player of the year mile, yeah yeah, but yeah by far been by a far. lot more exposed as well defensively yeah, I think he has been exposed he has made a, a few errors as well which yeah, I, I suppose he you know he, he has done in every single season yeah but Ultimately, the point is, it, it, whether it's good or outstanding, having your goal, if your goalkeeper's outstanding, and And generally, when you see goalkeepers who are outstanding, it's because they've got loads of work to do. And James, does this make it more important? Like, you know, we've talked about Nunes coming in, and obviously he's adjusting to the to the, a new country he's adjusting to a new league we know it's difficult for people to make the transitions in the Premier League because of its physicality and all that does that make it more important that the buys they do this summer are not like 
Nunes-style punts from the continent, but players who've proved they can actually play in the Premier League. Yeah, and I don't think it, I don't think it's any coincidence that that is why you know Alexis McAllister and, and Mason Mount are so high up on the list of, of targets for this window because they both tick that box, don't they, in terms of being Premier League proven. So you would hope that that does negate that argument of you know needing that adaptation period. And you know, of course, it's not always as simple as that. You know, players sometimes still need you know time to adjust. So even Adam Lallana would be an example of that. Who's someone who didn't light the place up for probably six months after he made the move to Liverpool. But yeah, that is that that is the situation Liverpool are in, aren't they? That they need to go and buy proven quality and where you know it's okay to say, well, Darwin Nunes was a long term plan and an investment for the future. But yeah, Liverpool need ready made individuals to come in and instantly improve that team because you know you need a, a minimum of two players who, who go walk straight into that mid- midfield I think in terms of becoming regular starters I think if you probably you know I'd expect Liverpool to sign three midfielders the third one I think could be a bit of a work in progress maybe a younger a younger talent that you need to develop but the other two need to be the finished article I know what you said before about the top four being the priority next season but I still think you add two elite midfielders to that team and I still think that Liverpool can be title challengers next season there's still there's still a lot of talent there, but that's why this summer's so big in terms of taking the team on to the next level. The problem with the title race, is, as we've seen this year with Arsenal, there's just no margin for error, is it? But, I mean, Simon, you know, this appointment we've been talking about, uh, Jörg Schmadeke, one day I'll get it right. I think that's right, <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Well, as I say, I always say, there is an injunction forbidding me for attempting to pronounce <laughs> foreign names, so, you know. <laughs> but, I, I mean, the sport and director role, how important do you think that is? That touches on something else that I wanted to say, really, is that, obviously, there's a lot of attention on the team and the players and who they get in midfield to, to replace players that have served Liverpool well. But it's still important what happens off the pitch as well that they get that right. And there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions I'd say there at the moment. Whether it's you know you, you mentioned Jörg Schmadeke, he's obviously replacing Julian Ward, who I think Liverpool had hopes that he'd be staying a lot longer. You know, clearly there's a reason why Julian Ward is is leaving the club. He's chosen to do that. I wrote about it just before I went off on paternity in December. So so to the recruitment side of things, all a little bit up in the air. I mean. The, the team that had served Liverpool quite well and had balanced quite well, well, had the balance very well with Jurgen Klopp, has been dismantled at a time when you're trying to to, to refresh the team. So that is going to they're going to have to make get these decisions right. You know, the, 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 there's there's been some big personnel changes there. Meanwhile, you know, we, we've spoken about injuries. You know, I, I wrote about the, the medical departments uh, at the start of the season. You know, they're going to have to improve the availability rates one way or the other, whether it's on the, the players themselves or the, 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 the better decision-making or, you know, technology, whatever. You know, so th- there's, there's a lot of things that, for me, aren't as settled that need to be for Liverpool to really be, uh, well, you know, as good just, as they have been. Just picking up on that, how important do you think Mike Gordon not being around because he was taken off to try and sell the club, which he didn't manage to do but now he's back involved more on a day-to-day basis well I, th- I think I'll stick by what I said or wrote in December it was when Julian Ward was, was offered the chance to replace Michael Edwards he was told that there wouldn't be a great deal of change you know it would just be sort of this seamless transition unfortunately you know sort of that that didn't prove to be the case really Mike Gordon 
over you know a long period of time has been a good sounding board for Jurgen Klopp, who I would say takes away his worst instincts. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, his more his most combative instincts that 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 maybe if you're working with him day after day after day, people quite find find quite hard to deal with. And Julian Ward sort of felt the job wasn't the one that he was told it was going to be. Um, so he's obviously gone. Mike Gordon has since returned. He's now back in place. I think it's important that he is because it gives Klopp a, a good sound on board, somebody to go to in these situations where he might not be quite getting what he's, he wants. You know, he was reporting to you know, sort of Billy Hogan took took on that role a bit, but nobody quite filled that 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 space while while Mike Gordon wasn't there. So, but nevertheless, you know, he's still getting a sporting director who's working, who's sort of being parachuted in. At short, relatively short notice to sort of oversee very important periods, and I just sort of hope FSG appreciate that. There seems to be a a feeling, not just you know, I'd, I'd say generally across the fan base, and I can understand why this happens. Is that Jurgen Klopp's achieved so many great things for Liverpool? It's like, well, he'll just sort it all out now. But it's not quite as simple as that. I, I, I mean, I, I think that I was always quite critical of Michael Edwards when he first came in, but I think where Edwards benefited from Klopp was that. Klopp's sort of way of working and his tactical approach was so clear that it made it very not it made it a lot easier for Edwards to do his job well. Meanwhile, Edwards is obviously an effective operator, and there were things that he did that made Klopp's decision making a lot better as well. Yeah, so I mean, they, were, they were a good working they relationship. each other, didn't they? Yeah, they, yeah. they took the worst aspects of each other's game, I'd say so, yeah. each other's way of working, and it worked. And Kiva, you know, the, the thing is. You know, and people always look at the players, look at the manager, but invariably, when there's chaos either in the boardroom or behind the scenes, you see the symptoms on the pitch, don't you? I think that's the key word for me. A lot of the time this season has been uncertainty since, you know, Liverpool are up for sale and it's like, oh no, just actually going to sell, like, you know, to shareholders or whatever and not sell the whole club. And that message sort of, like, diluted itself, didn't it? And we wasn't quite clear on, you know, what was actually happening. And then, you know, different people leaving the club and roles haven't quite been filled or they're getting filled now, but it doesn't maybe feel like, you know, it's all sort of happened in not necessarily the right way, but the just sort of, it hasn't come together off the pitch in the way, you know, I think we'd imagine. And in the period of success for Jurgen Klopp, everything behind the scenes seemed to be... You yeah, know, we, had, ticking, we seemed to have certainty, didn't we? The, the, things just seemed to tick well, didn't they? Yeah. And now there's like, you know, things are happening off the pitch. And I think that does draw your attention to... Um, on the pitch, sorry. And that does draw your attention to behind the scenes. And I'm just off to make a cocktail, so I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. Or get one, sorry. We know there's going to be a big shake-up at Anfield this summer, <laughs> but there's a big shake-up in here at the moment. <laughs> Regarding all this stuff, we've had an email from Kevin Garforth. And he says, been enjoying the pub for the last few weeks, just started listening. Thanks, Kevin. Carry on listening. You should have been listening earlier, <laughs> but we'll let that one go for the minute. Anyway, just got a quick question with regards to the summer, says Kevin. I heard James talking about signings and the spinning plate scenario, and he mentioned a guess of the numbers involved, cost-wise. No one seems to be mentioning how are we going to be able to afford this as we have no one currently that we can sell for a big price and we know John Fenway Sports Group time at the club we only spend big if we sell players the talk of investments gone quieter than a home game at the Etihad cruel <laughs> cruel cruel so can we ask can we ask James and the rest 
Where's the rebuild money coming from? James, come on, where's the rebuild money? You know, you know. <laughs> this is a bit like, where's the Arteta money? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for a start, you'd have to say that when, when Liverpool were clearly in need of midfield reinforcements last summer, the argument was, no, we're going to sit tight and wait because who we really want isn't available at the moment. We can't get the right players in. So that immediately insinuates the money was there last summer so that money should still be there this summer and yes of course for a club with a self-sustaining business model missing out on Champions League has an impact financially but it's not quite as simple as all that because you know when you when you look at the you know the the, the numbers you've got you know, for a start you've got the Anfield redevelopment that's going to be completed come August you know the financial benefits of an extra 7,000 seats every home game the new standard chartered Shirt sponsorship deal kicks in this summer. The new, I think it's Expedia uh, sleeve sponsorship deal, that kicks in on more improved terms. The Nike deal is starting to now generate the kind of money that Liverpool hoped it would do when they went across from, from New Balance. So, um, so yeah, I think, that, you know, everyone's waiting with bated breath, aren't they, really, to see what kind of what kind of numbers that does mean that Klopp is going to be able to play with financially this summer. But yeah, it's not going to be, there isn't a Coutinho type, is there, that's going to be sold to generate a huge fee that then you can go and buy, you know, like they did with Van Dijk and Allison. That's just simply not the case. And maybe Quivine Kelleher, that was probably the most saleable asset. Although I know Klopp last week said it would take an extraordinary offer. I also think from the conversations I've had with the ownership, that regardless of Champions League or not Champions League, they acknowledge that in this phase of where Liverpool are at in terms of the refreshing of the squad and the rebuild, that there is some serious investment that's required. You know, that wasn't the reason why they dropped out the running for Bellingham. The reason they dropped out the running run for Bellingham was it was like, well, 120 odd million, which is what it's going to take to get him. That is effectively a vast, vast chunk of the kitty. And can we really justify that on one player when anyone with a brain knows that that squad needs probably three or four minimum reinforcements this summer and they also had no guarantees from Bellingham that his first choice was Liverpool anyway even if they could have done that deal so I'm still pretty optimistic that that we'll see the show of ambition that we all want to see yeah I mean you know as you know Simon I've spoken quite a lot to John Henry over the years and he always said your mate John yeah Johnny boy as I called him yeah, I called him some names at various times. But anyway, um, I, I and he always said, yes, it's a self-sustaining model, but if they need it, there would be money available, particularly to Klopp, because obviously, you know, sort of Brenton Rogers really blotters a copybook. But, I mean, how do you see it? Well, I think the other big thing is when we talk about football recruitments, wages is, is a big issue in Liverpool of just as we know, let go of four big wage earners, two of which, you know, I would argue have probably been disappointments, the, the, the main disappointments of the, the Klopp era, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita. To oh, be, to be, you've got all their rocks off because he got injured. Yeah, yeah. Well, as for Keita, well, yes. Keita, Keita given the fanfare that he came with. Keita got injured a few times as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like always. Yeah. Well, the other thing as well this season... It, you know they haven't qualified for the Champions League, so I think they'll be, you know, some of the the the, the, play, the players that they're keeping on, their wages won't be as high as they were last season because they're heavily incentivised as well. So that will become an issue, you know, when they're recruiting players. I think that, that that's pretty significant. These are businessmen; they're not stupid. Liverpool makes 
a fair amount of money as a club itself so you can invest that but if they really need to put extra money in I think they will I think they will but uh, I mean I think Jürgen Klopp would be quite within his right to remind them it's like well when I've had money to spend in the past albeit you know goes back to what we were talking before about like recruitment and sort of the guidance that Klopp I suppose was getting Alison Becker was not a Klopp sign and it was you know, the recruitment team that, that was put in place, which is no longer there. You know, he was a transformative signing for Liverpool. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I think I think Jürgen Klopp, you know, can say, well, I think I deserve a little bit of backing at this stage, you know, given given everything that he's achieved at the club. But I think there'll be one, maybe one or two departures this summer as well, which might surprise people potentially to, you know, to, to ensure that, you know, the, the, you know, the tactical reshape of the team... Is more seamless. I mean, I saw Whoa, some. You, mean, you can't just throw that no, in and then walk name, away no, from no, it. I saw, I saw name the story today. Again, this isn't this is this is not me, sort of with any inside knowledge. But I saw the story today about Andy Robertson potentially being available. Now, that's do you not think? Do you think that's nonsense? Absolute nonsense. Yeah. As as he denied that, so so you can you can exclusively say that it's correct yeah. nonsense today. Yes. Because it would have made sense for me on some levels, given given the structure of the team now. Well, Liverpool need to be like, more wise and sell and players when they're at the most profitable as well, don't they? Because yeah. well, we're down to I, I, I was Robertson's say, someone who's 29, yeah. is he now? Because what you don't as really much want... As you don't want to see Liverpool play without Andy Robertson because yeah. Simicast is great, but you want Andy Robertson to start well, the game. I think that they need, arguably in the system that they've got, somebody who's a bit more closer to a left-sided centre-back than a left-back now. So I could understand maybe where that story's come from to some degree. But... I, th- I think sort of the scenes that we saw last weekend where you're getting four players getting big farewells is exactly the sort of thing that FSG really given their their business model do not want to see no, you know it's like that they should be getting moved on earlier where they're making money and they're replenishing it so I understand why sort of fans that you know want to want to celebrate for me you know and everybody else but Really, if, if 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 the if the business model is going to wear, it's almost like a failure. It's a failure, really. It's a symbol of the failure, I would say. And the, and and question, serious questions should be asked: why that's being allowed to take place? Yeah. You know, whether it's in the recruitment level, management level, who's having so much influence that should not in the future that should not be allowed, in my view. If they're going to make a success out of this, players, particularly in the twenties leaving for nothing that he spent 80 million quid on you know that that, that could be funding Jude Bellingham really so could be funding our Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess the awkward thing is and we touched upon this earlier on in the week is there were no offers for them last summer as much as you probably yeah I think it's definitely a fair argument to say well, why why were they kept on for one more year Yeah. but it was like you've still got to have the offers on the table to be able to cash mm. in and I think the reality was there wasn't a market for either of them last summer you, I mean you, you could argue Somebody might say, well, could have sold them two or three summers ago, really. You know, they probably clung on to them for far too long in the, in the long term. Serious questions. Not not like, you know, when I say serious questions, it's not like sort of you're getting sacked for this. But I, I do think that... You're pointing they need the to finger, sir. You're pointing they, the finger. They need to be, it needs to be debated why they're having a big send-off for four players, yeah. two, of which are, two of which naturally you'd be expecting to get money out of in the business model. As well, though, just speaking about, like, Robertson, you can't imagine him not playing for Liverpool but in a way would this summer benefit from the odd shock of a player you know of a high profile that you couldn't imagine Liverpool's first 11 being without going technically to make, like to help fund whatever comes yeah. it would be I mean, interesting to see if that does happen like do you- that's a really really good point and, and you know what 
it's great that Kevin got in touch with us because he started all this debate and we've just talked and talked and talked about it. Um, so if you want to get in touch, email walk-on at theathletic.com. This is Walk On from The Athletic and we're going to have a quick break because our glasses are empty. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. In towards Gerard. Oh. Hello. Hello. Here we go. This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Simon Hughes. Liverpool have their hands on the European Cup again and this time it's for keeps that trophy isn't going anywhere but Anfield 18 years since Istanbul can you believe that it's just it's mind-boggling really and I have to say I've seen a lot of Liverpool games in my life but that was an experience unlike anything I, I ever I mean I was lucky I went by the by train left Liverpool on Thursday night going to Istanbul like 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning had four wild days in, in Turkey and then got the train out at, um, at 10 o'clock on the Thursday night and the whole thing it, it turned into a really life affirming journey and when we were 3-0 down I was fuming <laughs> Kiva you know, you're the youngest of us all here. How do you see it? Because it must be weird, because 18 years on, there's a whole generation of Liverpool fans who, you know, would have been very young and and wouldn't, you know, maybe don't get the resonance of it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it always felt like, I always said, like, that was the best night of my life. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I was, you know, on my little uh, street in Birkenhead of all my mates, just, like, dreaming, I guess, before the game. And then the game happens, and obviously Liverpool go 3-0 down. You're like, oh, OK, because you kind of... It's weird, because I think back and think, I didn't really even know what the European Cup was. You know, I was in, like, year seven or eight in school, and I didn't really understand it, but I kind of knew we were good at it. And, like, my granddad had, like told me stories and it was his birthday actually I think he was in Benidorm and we later got a, a nice phone call so it was he'd be 86 um, on One the 25th of the most days to have your birthday the 25th of May the, the anniversary of the first European Cup the anniversary of the fifth European Cup Brilliant. I mean, he loves a bevy, so he's yeah, definitely loved a bevy on those days. But yeah, so I've sort of you know grew up with those stories and knowing that it was like this special coveted thing, but never really truly probably understanding it. And then all of the games to get there, I remember watching and just being like excited about it. Then you get there, and then it's like, 
whoa, didn't know Liverpool were this bad. Like, you know, 3-0 down. And then I think in the second half, obviously the whole Gerrard arms up and just like, you know, it begins, doesn't it? And I think we locked my mum in the back garden because she went out there to like do some gardening and we were like, you can't come back in now. It was all very superstitious and like we were all sort of praying almost and like you stay there and that'll happen for us and then I think we sort of ended the night um, in my mum's cousin Harry we ended the night in his house like uh, yeah I just remember feeling like this is amazing and I think I always look back on that night thinking that was the night when it was like you know this is what the club means this is what Liverpool can do so you know it's never over until it's over and it's something that I think you look back on and it is truly just a very special occasion and then you know 2019 I get to be there in Madrid and sort of you know be that little girl and the woman and, and see it happen and I think that was sort of a nice full circle moment for me. Oh brilliant brilliant I, I was what was amazing the ground was in the middle of nowhere if you obviously I love you won't have been the Atatürk it's the middle of nowhere in a, a moor and obviously the whole Liverpool fan base was dressed for summer and we walked across this big mall and all of a sudden it got freezing after kick-off. So you're in your T-shirt, you're 3-0 down and my phone was besieged with texts from Manx and Evertonians like gloating at half-time and one come through. It said to me, it just said, God's good. And I didn't know it was from, it was just a number. And like uh, about well, five or six hours later, from a bar in Istanbul, I texted them back and said, isn't he just? <laughs> but James, it was one of the most remarkable nights, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, hard to believe, isn't it? That's 18 years ago already. I remember a couple of years back now, wasn't it? Do you remember, Simon, and you put together that kind of oral history and speak, spoke to most of the players involved. And sometimes it, it, you have to kind of remind yourself just how extraordinary it was. And I think the fact it's stood the test of time as well, isn't it? Because it's nothing... Nothing has beaten it since, and I don't think anything will ever will, certainly not like in my lifetime, because, yeah, to do it on that stage um, against such an incredible Milan team. And whenever, whenever I look back over that game, you, you look at the names on that Milan team sheet and it, with the greatest respect, you compare them to the ones on the other one and you think it's just outrageous that to come back from 3-0 down as well. And, yeah, it's a little bit bittersweet for me, actually, because I, I, I turned down a ticket the day before Oh, oh. The um, I was I was actually in the process of moving to Liverpool, so I was working on the the Bath Chronicle newspaper at the time. I'd just taken quite a big pay cut to go from the Bath newspaper to to the Echo, just as a a kind of general sports reporter. And um, a mate of mine, we tried to get tickets, and it hadn't been it hadn't been fortunate enough. And then, like the day before, he said, "I've managed to I've managed to get to the other one's yours if you want it." And you you know you're looking at flights and. Price. I was looking at about two grand by that point, and I, and I just, I just genuinely did not have two grand, unfortunately, at that time. So I watched it in a bar in in Clifton, in Bristol, with with loads of mates, which was still amazing, but obviously not quite as good as it it could have been. And um, yeah, one of those ones where you know, at half time, you're thinking, thank God I didn't mortgage the house <laughs> to um, to get myself over there for that. Yet yeah, come the end of it, you're thinking. I'd have sold my grand to be able to say that yeah. I was there tonight. Yeah, Simon, we, we, you know, you were there, weren't you? No. No, I wasn't. Am I the only one who was there? Am I the only one who was there? No, um, I've got a similar tale of woe. Um, so I was in my last year of university, right, and got on this. The next morning, I had my last exam. Oh. How cruel is that? 
so what happened was, I remember when, when they got through from the semi-final, I went to my lecturer and tried to make a compelling case that he should let me take the exam earlier than everybody else <laughs> and escort me to the airport, which I'd pay him to do and then go. Obviously, it was never going to work. But I had convinced myself he might he might buy into it, but no, no chance. So I, Fascist. Well, the, 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 only, the only sort of good side, well, one of the good sides to it was the, like some of my mates who live in Crosby, like which is a, a couple of miles north of Liverpool, we ended up all watching it together in the pub. I remember like one of my mates who's a blue, he sort of sidled over to me at half time and he's a good lad. I'll, I'll name him Andy Taylor. Good lad, Andy. He's very rational when it comes to football. I just remember him coming over to me saying, Seedorf's absolutely killing you there. Like I remember, and I remember saying to him, I did actually say to him, I said, he did surrender the three goal leads at La Coruña last year. Yeah. But it was like, oh, it was it was in vain. It was just this little thing that I was. I just thought I'd say. And then anyway, he was nowhere to be seen when the third goal went in. I think he got home. Yeah, so I did the, obviously they won the, they won the Champions League. And I remember toddling off home getting up the next morning I remember my dad gave me a lift into town and Liverpool was like this sort of post-apocalyptic world it's it seemed dead I think it was, I remember it being dead bright dead early really warm people staggering about like what the hell has just happened here so it was interesting to see Liverpool as a city waking up as a you know as a having a Champions, having a Champions League winner but I, I just think the great thing about it is is that no matter what, on a football pitch, you never quite know what's going to happen. Oh. You know, because at half-time, even though I said what I said to me, to me, mate, who's a blue? AC Milan was so good. He was so good the first half, and Liverpool were humbled. I never for a minute thought he'd even get a goal. So it, it, I think it should be a message for everybody that, like, if you just hang in there and... It's a strange sport, football. I mean, I think when you grow up as well, you, you look at that team now. That team is ridiculous. Like, I wouldn't have even, like you saying about them squandering a 3 0 lead. Like, I wouldn't have knew any of that, but I didn't really know about Perlo or Maldini or, you know, any of these players until I was older. And I'm like, Liverpool did that. Like, that is just phenomenal how, that how, that actually happened, that is real. Well, how does Istanbul it was. How, I mean, everybody who goes to, who went to Istanbul will it will never be defeated, but uh, on a personal level, I, I I would say I enjoyed Barcelona in 2019 more because I was there and I was mm, more yeah, involved yeah. on a personal level. I remember coming out to the new camp in 2019 and just thinking Messi is the best player that I've ever seen in my life. You know, like by yeah, a he's million no Jimmy miles. Yeah, he's no yeah, Jimmy yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. That's sort of how I console myself. I, I think. Know, well, I think you know, different games have different resonance for different generations, obviously. And what was so particularly important and moving for me in Istanbul is, first of all, we didn't expect it, but it was also the twentieth anniversary of Heisel that year. Obviously, we had to look back, and like well, I, I got back from the morning after Heisel got back into Britain uh, when I heard the news that 39 people had been killed I thought to myself I will never see another European Cup final again I'll never see another you know what became the Champions League then and then of course in that mad ride in that first half of 2005 not only do we get to Istanbul to the final but it goes through Juventus which who obviously were the, the team we played in Heisel and you know predominantly those who died were Juventus fans. And that was a very difficult thing as well. I mean, I spent three very uncomfortable days in, in Turin, you know, because of that. And then but you go through 
And then suddenly, I, something that you never believed would happen to you happens. And not only that, it happens for a point where you're standing there at half time going, I was just going, please, just don't be humiliated. Keep it at three, don't be humiliated. And then that famous moment when everyone started singing, you'll never walk alone. And it wasn't like sentimental or anything. It was quite the opposite. It was like, right, right. I'll tell you what, we've come all this way. Paid all this money. Yeah, they've embarrassed us. But you know what? This is who we are, sodgers. And you know, that moment where Stephen turns around and rouses rouse the crowd. I've said this before on the podcast. My reaction was, hey you, I don't need lessons in support from you. Get on with it. <laughs> you know, he got on with it. He got on with it. He, he got on with it. it. And, and, you know, and uh, I, I'd say, and, and the other really surreal experience for me was I was in a bar around Taxham Square about five in the morning. And, the, the, you know, this massive sort of tsunami of emotions had drowned me. And I was like, I didn't know where, and I was like, where? and the highlights come up and so all like that. And when Alonso stepped up to take the penalty, I'd forgotten it was saved. So when the keeper <laughs> saved it, I nearly fainted. <laughs> I thought it was like in a nightmare. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, a, and then he put the rebound in, I'm like, and my heart was going, bum, 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 bum. But even now, I can't watch the Shevchenko chance. Oh, what a save! What a, what a save from Shevchenko by Chelsea Duda. I mean, that save by Duda is unexplainable unexplainable yeah that's like one of the it, it, seven miracles of it is the it's universe the, traje- the trajectory like, of the ball no matter how many times he tried that again that would never happen again i think there was there was great commentary as well on it it was itv wasn't it showing that night there's a clive tilsley, clive tilsley yeah, when yeah. gerard pumps his arms up he says hello hello here we go <laughs> and that just i feel like that was like almost like something that just followed me around for years like <laughs> you know you just any time Liverpool would score, you just think, "Hello, hello, here we go." Just holding on to that, like, and then obviously when Alonso does get the rebound or the penalty, I think does he say mission Mission Impossible is complete or something? <laughs> and it did feel that way, didn't it? It felt like that penalty going in. You, it, you had, it felt you had so many great subplots, didn't you? Because you had Triori was in the shower at half time, been told, you know, you're off. You, you know, you've. You, like, was, was, well, no, Troy, Troy sorry, was in the shower, and then it was and like, and then fin- yeah, yeah, Finn had, Finn had, had a muscle injury. So then it was Rafa was like, you're gonna, get, someone's got to go and get Triori out the shower. You, you know, and, and he brings on Diddy Haman, and you know, I can't think of another example in football history where bringing on a defensive midfielder has, oh. has transformed a game like bringing on Diddy Haman that night. And even like you know, Vladimir Smitsa doesn't really get too much of a mention in all the the kind of heroic tales from that night. But you speak to Vladimir Smitsa and he was leaving the club and he'd been left out. He wasn't even on the bench for the final league game at Anfield. Yeah, yeah. And he was furious because he was like, you know, you know, you know, I haven't even had the chance. You know, I just wanted that chance to say goodbye to Anfield. So he didn't even expect to be on the bench yeah. in Istanbul, let alone come on. This is the thing. This is what I love about it is, you know, like football now, everybody's attempting to explain everything that happens in football, whether it's, you know, through data or... You know, recruitments or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I do not think, no matter how hard you try, you can ever explain what happened in Istanbul. Whether it's a combination of lots of things. You know, that everybody was sort of hanging on what was said in the dressing room at half time. Yeah. Nothing particularly yeah, yeah, remarkable yeah, yeah. by well, the sounds of it. And, and the, yeah. the confusion, the famous story, yeah. Rafa putting up um, 10 names yeah. on the team board and then putting 12 yeah. because of all the confusion. With, I mean, he even uh, had a play, didn't he, in the 15 minutes to chuck the world or whatever? Yeah. It's, it's one of. Football's great mysteries, even though it's probably one of the most famous moments 
In even a, like Barros getting out of the way of Smeets' shots. Like, <laughs> yeah. does it touch him? Does it not? Like, it doesn't matter, but it's yeah. everything's unexplainable and it doesn't need to be explained, like when, you say. When, when like the ball that. goes to Smeets, I'm shouting, don't shoot from there. <laughs> oh, okay, that works. Well, Kat Carragher, I think, has gone on record, hasn't he, saying that he's never been so high up the pitch in a, in a game, you know, when he, he uh, contributes towards the penalty that gets given. It's like, you know, why, why is he there at that, yeah, mo- yeah, at that moment in yeah, time? Yeah. There's still you know 30, 30 to 35 minutes left to go and he's trying to get an equaliser like it's it's a freak but that's the, that's why you know that that's what keeps us hanging on I think uh, you know what and we'll we'll see stuff like this again because the one thing supporting Liverpool Football Club has taught me all my life is that strange things happen and they're normally for the good that's all from Walk On your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic thanks to James Keever and Simon and you as well as for joining us. We'll be back on Monday. We'll catch you then. The Athletic.